Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And I've got a bit of an interesting topic to talk about in this episode this week. It's a subject that I've been thinking quite deeply about for some time, so I'm excited to share it with you. So obviously, a property's value is divided into two components. There's the land value component, uh, and then the value of any improvements on that property, such as the dwelling and, and so forth. So building value and land value. And conventionally, the belief is that land appreciates over time, whereas uh, buildings depreciate as they get older and they're subject to wear and tear and so forth. And it's something I've spoken about before in this podcast. However, rising construction costs can have an impact on the building value. So if construction costs are rising at a much faster rate than the building is depreciating at, then potentially you can get some appreciation in the building value as well. So for instance, can the cost of constructing uh, using the ABS's uh, residential construction index as a measure has increased by about 30% between 2021 and 2023. And it's been well documented that, you know, input costs in terms of hard costs associated with construction and then labour costs have been a major component to that, uh, partly just due to inflation and COVID lockdowns and all these sorts of things. So, it's a 12% compounding annual growth rate really over that last couple of years that have really pushed construction costs higher. Uh, and there's anecdotal evidence that, that suggests that maybe in some situations for some dwellings, they've actually increased by uh, more than 30% over the last couple of years. So the question is, uh, what impact does that have on investment returns? And that's what I'd like to talk about uh, in today's episode. So I'd look at the house construction input price index put together by the ABS, uh, and it's got data going back to 1966, so some really long-term data. It, it really shows, or what it does show, is that between uh, 1966 and 2021, just before the recent spike in construction costs, construction costs increased on average over that period of time, uh, so many decades, about 5%. Uh, as I said, um, between 21 and 23, it increased by 12% per annum, which means that the overall increase is about, uh, so from 1966 through to uh, 2023, so the most recent data, including the last couple of years of really strong increases, it's 5.3%. So that's kind of interesting. I was, I was, I was kind of surprised at that. So in real terms, uh, when you look at inflation over the same period, uh, and I haven't pulled out those figures, but my uh, strong guess, it's going to be around 2.5%. So in real terms, construction costs have increased by faster, a, a rate faster than inflation by about 2.5%, which is which was a surprise uh, when I looked at those figures. So that would suggest then that the building value actually does appreciate rather than depreciate. However, there's a couple of considerations here. Firstly, you know, we, we must acknowledge that dwellings require maintenance. Now, uh, of course, dwellings will naturally depreciate just due to wear and tear. So a brand new building um, isn't going to be worth what a 10-year-old building is because, you know, because of the wear and tear component and so forth. And so the ATO suggests that you can depreciate a dwelling, the cost of a dwelling over 40 years. 
So that would suggest then that the cost of a new dwelling today versus a dwelling that's uh, 10 years old, the 10-year-old dwelling should be worth 75% of the new one just because we're depreciating over a 40-year period. But also you need to spend some maintenance, and I've previously spoken about that, and I've estimated about half a percent of the property's value uh, on an annual basis is uh, a good budget for maintenance uh, with respect to property. Uh, now, you're not going to spend that every year, of course, but if you don't do any maintenance for 10 years, then you probably um, have a, on the 10th year, you probably end up spending uh, quite a bit, you know, sometimes you do like updating the kitchen or something like that, or replacing carpets, you're not going to do that every year, uh, and you're not going to replace one room every year, but when you tend to do it, you tend to do uh, sort of much larger projects. So when we add it all up, we've got uh, construction costs increasing by about 5.5%. We've got depreciation coming in at about 2.5%, you know, being over 40 years. And then um, the maintenance cost, which is about half a percent of the total property's value or 1.5% of the building's value, really brings down the net increase in construction costs to about 1%. So 5 less 2.5 less 1.5 obviously gives us a 1% appreciation. So as a general rule, when you look at these numbers, uh, the building component is, let, let's call it steady. I mean, it's increasing by 1% per annum, um, but let's call it kind of steady so that it's not the depreciation that we might have first expected before you know, looking at how much construction costs have had a, a, an impact on overall value. So as I've previously spoken about in this podcast, for a property to be con considered investment grade, it should have a significant proportion of its overall value should be represented in land value. And that's because the return on the land is much higher than the return on the dwelling. So for a property to uh, double in value, the overall value of a property to double in value uh, every 10 years, you need a return of 7.2%. If we assume that the underlying land value is about 70% of the overall value, then the land needs to appreciate by 10% because the 30% uh, of the, the improvements, the building value, is only appreciating by 1% as we've just spoken about. Therefore, I'm getting a return on land is 10%, the return on dwelling is 1%. In, in terms of capital growth, of course, you get the rental income that's associated with the improvements on the property, but I'm just talking from a capital growth perspective. And so when you go ahead and compare two different type of assets, say an investment grade asset with 70% land value and 30% building value, and a non-investment grade asset that might have, say, 40% land value and 60% improvements, which is kind of more of a new build style property, uh, when you multiply and add in the um, higher rental yield that you'll get from the, the property that has a higher building value component, so the non-investment grade asset, uh, when you do all the numbers on that, you're looking at, on an average, an average return including capital growth and, and rental income of about $80,000 a year on the investment grade asset and about $62,000 a year on the non-investment grade asset. So the capital growth more than offsets or makes up for uh, the higher rental yield that the non-investment grade asset produces. So it's really good then to think about, you know, from a, a fundamental perspective, when we're looking at property assets, what is the nature of the particular asset? And that will help inform you about what returns can you expect. 
Now, I should point out that that's really glossing over a, a very important factor, which is the power of compounding capital growth. So whilst I might look at the capital growth in one particular year and make a comparison, that difference compounds over time. And so where an investment-grade asset, um, it's reasonable to expect that it will double in value every 10 years, on average, every 10 years. It might not do that every 10 years, but you know, if you hold a property for 30 years, you know, it should have doubled a couple of times over that holding period. Uh, whereas a non-investment grade asset is going to take 15 to 16 years to double just because it has a lower land value proportion and therefore uh, you can expect a lower compounding capital growth rate. And so it's not hard then to work out, well, if one's doubling every 10 and one's doubling every 16 years, it's not hard to work out, then 30 years time, the investment grade asset is going to be a superior investment. Now, of course, that's not to say that spending money on making improvements to a property is never a good idea. Of course, there's always exceptions to every rule. Uh, the rule around buying something that's heavy in land value is something that I would encourage people to think about when first acquiring the asset. But once you have the asset, then it's really around the most efficient use of that property. Uh, and sometimes that means spending some money on the improvements. And there's a couple of circumstances in which I would I would consider doing that. Now, the first one is regular maintenance. Maintenance can never be avoided. It only can be delayed. And if you delay doing maintenance to your property, it's likely that you'll probably spend more in the long run. So maintaining your property so that it's in good condition to minimize vacancies and maximize its value is a, a, a good thing to do with your particular asset. So don't scrimp and save or try and avoid on maintenance. The next one is renovation. Um, investment grade properties tend to uh, have older style accommodation, tends to be more modest, which obviously attracts a lower rental yield. So they don't generate as much income as something with more building value, of course. And that, But that also represents an opportunity to really add value and enhance your investment return. So let me tell you a story about uh, a property that my wife and I own in Brisbane, um, and we just got notified that the tenants are, are going to move out. The, the dwelling's in really basic condition, like the underlying land value of this particular asset would be probably 80% or more of the overall value of the property. So it sort of shows you that the actual house there is is really in, in really poor condition. And we only get, as a result, we only get $400 a week in terms of rental income. And we've been inclined not to change that because we acknowledge that the dwelling's not in great condition. And that tenant has been in the property for, I think, 10 or more years. They were in there um, when we first purchased the property. So the tenant's given notice, they're going to move out. And as such, we're going to make some improvements uh, just because it makes financial sense, but also we feel much more comfortable if we're going to present a, a better quality property to the market. And so we're going to do things like painting, carpets, blinds, we're going to update the kitchen, you know, those sort of cosmetic things that are really going to enhance its value. We expect the cost of the uh, improvements to cost us around about $90,000. And the rental income is projected to increase from $400 a week to $700 a week. So that equates to about a 17% return on our uh, $90,000 investment, um, being about 15 grand of income off $90,000 of investment, of course. So that's a pretty good return 
on uh, on our money and better than you know the 10% that the underlying land value might provide us over the long run. The cash flow impact of these improvements is more substantial uh, since firstly we'll be able to depreciate the cost so there'll be a non-cash tax deduction there and then secondly we'll be funding the renovations through additional borrowing so we're not really outlaying the $90,000 of cash we're going to borrow it, it makes uh, uh, good sense to do that. So we estimate that our after-tax cash flow will in from this property will increase by about eight thousand dollars a year. Uh, so it's not going to change the world, but you know it does demonstrate. It's a really good example that does demonstrate sometimes spending money on making improvements to the dwelling uh, is is not only sensitive, a sensible thing to do, but you know uh, financially an efficient way to to uh, manage your asset. You know, undercapitalized asset, which we acknowledge it was undercapitalized asset, but we weren't going to do anything uh, with it while the tenants were still in there, of course. And the final one is a, a complete redevelopment of a, of a property in some circumstances. You know, redeveloping the property can be economically beneficial, and that can be true whether you're going to hold it long term or whether it's just a process to uh, maximize the sale proceeds. You know, if you, if you want to sell a particular property, you might develop it. Um, to maximise the the money that you can pull out of that property when you when you eventually sell it. That said, it really is important to appreciate that when you redevelop a property, you are changing its nature. So you know you might take what is a land heavy property to to be a an improvements heavy property, uh, and by doing that, you might disqualify it from being considered to be investment grade. Now. It depends on what you're building and that that's not that rule doesn't apply to every single property, of course, but it's something to be really mindful of. Um, and uh, as a result, if you're going to do a full redevelopment, maybe it's a, a case of exiting that investment or at least reducing your exposure to that investment if you're building multiple dwellings. Uh, so that is uh, selling a couple and, and hanging on to a couple, but something to think about uh, from a long-term investment perspective. So really to wrap it all up, over the last couple of years, construction con uh, costs have spiralled out of control. I think we all acknowledge that. Uh, so sometimes when you look at you know, performance, particularly over the shorter term of particular properties, it could invite you to make a mistake or a, a misconclusion that, hey, this property has actually performed much better. It could be just because of the spike in construction contract, uh, costs rather than the actual fundamentals of the underlying property. And so I still believe that the best thing to do when going out making a property investment is to spend most of your money on the underlying land value, as long as that property is in a location where it's investment grade, you know, that you're buying quality land in a quality location, uh, you're better off to spend the money on that and then maybe make improvements to the property down the track, as opposed to targeting a property that is already heavy in improvement value and lighter on in terms of uh, land value and then even potentially compromising on the land value component. So I thought it was really interesting to pull apart those construction costs over that multi-decade period to, to really get an understanding of, hey, okay, uh, construction, the, the value of a property is possible. The building value could actually uh, appreciate in value, but nowhere near what the underlying land value will do in an investment grade location. Okay, that's it for me for this week. Until next week, bye for now.